I hope we choose heaven. And I hope we choose better. I wrote this because at the moment, heaven seems far away. It's like they see your skin and take the heart away. It's like we don't matter. We don't get to say, well, here's a black two cents. My two penny heart aways. Race isn't a mistake. We were designed in heaven, fearfully and wonderfully made, I believe is the phrase. And I bowed my head. My voice broke as I prayed, God, is there something that you want to say? This isn't just about politics, though new laws will help. And this isn't just about arguments, though we should protest as well. This is about all of us. Something is broken at our core. And I can't stand to see another black man lying on the floor. There's only one thing that gives me comfort anymore. The gospel of a brown Jesus who knows and who sees us who steps into our brokenness and rearranges pieces and makes a masterpiece out of our whole crazy species. But y'all, there's people out there who see me and don't see this. They see a stereotype or an image from TV. They think I'm dangerous and dumb, that it'd be better if I leave. Well, I have a word for them too. God disagrees. I am made in the image of God and you are not going to change that. I am made in the image of God and I am not afraid now because I know who I am and I know who we are. And if you don't get it, I know we look like our God. So I hope you hear these words and I hope you keep this letter and I hope you choose heaven. And I hope you choose better. And I'll close with my own. To the people of God, we have to choose We have to decide, are we all made in his image or is that just a lie? Does it just sound nice? The whole world is watching. We got to pick a side. And I believe in you, church. I will give you my life. We need you now more than ever. Please don't let me down. That was Mike Harris, one of the students in my youth group in Illinois uh, that I got a chance to pastor for a couple years who now lives in Nashville. And this week he sent me that video as he made that into response of what's going on in the world. And I said, thank you, Mike, for your dedication to the Lord. And I will be using that this weekend to open our service. And uh, my name's Nate, one of the pastors here. want to welcome you. And this is my good friend, Dom Fitzgerald. And Uh, Today, we are starting the service a whole lot different. Uh, We're going to get right to it. We're going to dive into our kind of our message this morning, and it's going to be a bit of an interview as well as a message. And uh, really, you know, in the series that we're in, it's called Deal With It. And Dom, we've been talking about this idea. We got to deal with it because it is dealing with you. And we've been looking at the book of Philippians, and we called an audible this week And I said, there is no way that we can continue on in our series and not deal with what is happening in our world right now. And I asked Dom to be a part of this weekend for a couple of reasons. Uh, Dom and his family's wife, Erica, and their kiddos, they come to church here. He has become a good friend. And over the last year, Dom and a number of people have become, uh, I asked him, uh, I needed uh, to form a diversity advisory team here. Uh, Let me be honest, our church is predominantly white and... uh, I, as much as I can love people, just because you might love somebody, you don't know what's going on in their life and you don't know what it is to be them. And so for the last year, not just have I been a pastor to Dom, Dom has actually been a mentor to me. 
And uh, he's been in my home. I've been in his home. Uh, he got me into the Notre Dame U of L game. He's a big U of L guy. Actually, used to be the DJ for the U of L football game. Is that right? A little bit more than that. Well, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, he was humble about it. He's like, <laughs> I mean, I spin some tunes for him, and I'm like, no, you're the, you're the man. And uh, uh, and so he's heavily involved. And so we've caught football games. We live life. And over the last year, what's just been so rich, and this is the beauty of the church, is we get to learn from one another. And God uses his spirit and the presence of Christ to shape each other. And that's my hope today, that Don, that we deal with what is going on. We talk about how we're dealing with it. How we, some of us, we don't even know how to grieve within this. And, and let me be honest, when I asked Dom to do this, um, he actually, uh, can I, is it fair to say you said no at first? Yeah, he, and, yeah uh, absolutely. He, not because he didn't wanna help and not because you didn't care, but in moments like these, uh, I'm the one who looks like I'm taking the risk as a pastor or I'm the one doing good. And it's really Dom who's taking all the risk today. And this is the power that we have as the church is to take the time to listen and to learn and to open up God's word. Because what we're gonna find today is this, that this whole evil of racism is actually all throughout the Bible. And God, what we're gonna to find today is he's a God of justice, he's a God of mercy, and he is a God who is willing and able to redeem situations that we find today that let's be honest, we can't redeem and we can't fix. And so today we're gonna to deal with it. We're gonna deal with how we grieve through this. We're gonna, we're gonna deal with how God says to deal with it, and then we're gonna to begin to move forward in the ways of God. And I asked Dom, this is what's amazing, as much as he's been a mentor to me this week, to, to hear a little bit more, I'm like, Dom, how do you have such a mature perspective? How is it that you're able to speak into this and uh, to process so well and yet be mature about it and think through things? And he began to share his story of his childhood. And Dom, you have a pretty uh, powerful, and I would uh, say unique story of race growing up. And if you would, would you just share a little bit of your background and your story with us and how God has shaped the story of race in your life? Sure. Well, first, thank you for inviting me here and to have me on the stage. It means a lot, um, not only to myself, to people who look like me, and to this church. And so, Nate, what you're talking about, me growing up, you know, I think a lot of people have been sharing stories about kids. You know, they don't see color, right? Uh, I grew up in a small town, Berea, Kentucky. Uh, when I was three, we moved there, three to six, and my best friend was my neighbor. She was white. And we just played. We had all types of fun. Uh, and, but we moved away. Uh, we had to move to Lexington, which was a blessing for me because it opened my eyes up to the real world, as I like to call it. Yeah. And my grandmother helped raise me. Um, and <laughs> I'll never forget this. She lived in an apartment complex and across the hall. So, uh, you know, you walk in, hers is over here, over there. There was an elderly white lady. Her name was Miss Betty. Miss Betty was a retired federal judge. Um, and my grandmother, who's still with us today, she's 94 years old. Oh. Uh, but this was 20 years ago. And that lady, to me, seems as old as my grandmother is now. I don't remember how old she was. But she needed a friend. She needed somebody to check on her, to care, her, care for her, love for her. And my grandmother did that. I watched her. We would go over there. She would cook food. We'd talk just 
it was crazy. And I remember that my grandmother, sorry. My grandmother lived through the 60s. She was born in 1926. The racism that she experienced that she could have taken and been so bitter about. She was an educator and she loved that woman and adopted her, basically. Mm. And I knew at that moment, couldn't do it. I had to treat everybody like God sees me. And that's just, we're the same. Yeah. We are. And I watched my grandmother be a real living example of that. Yeah. So much so, I know, and I'm going to bring some of this, these details up, that when Miss Betty passed, your grandmother was the beneficiary <laughs> of all of her estate. Is that right? Well, I don't know if it was all of the estate, but I know she left a lot of those belongings that were in that apartment to my grandmother. Um, And I mean, to me, that just showed the care that uh, my grandmother made for her. My grandmother's name is Ann Black, and we call her Mama Ann, and she was a mother to her. She's still a mother to me. And I just can't imagine being in a place where, you know, I envision, you know, living out my days by myself and not having much to give to someone when, you know, I pass away. And she gave, she gave. So I love, uh, I think this is the power of stories. I'll be honest, never heard a story like that before. And you see the power and I go, that's why you're so mature. That's why, oh, you're thinking when somebody goes, Dom, why aren't you outraged? You go, oh, I am. I just realize how God wants me to process this. And I realize, and I've seen it, and, and I think in you, as you begin to share that story, I'm like, no, this is the fruit of a grandmother who has raised and lived the ways of Jesus, and now we're being blessed as a church because of her. And in some ways, too, she's spiritually mothering us, yeah. right, and her Absolutely. influence in us. And I think this is what's, uh, what I found fascinating. I was talking to my dad this week about this because he lived through the whole Martin Luther King Jr. assassination. Uh, this has kind of been the conclusion as I've been talking with other pastors and when I heard your story and when I talked to dad is this, what I've realized is every generation has to deal with the issue of racism. And I think sometimes we can become, especially, and there's nothing wrong with older generations, but I know the older we get and the more we've experienced, especially generations like my dad who have lived through just the darkness and the evil it can be so overwhelming to have to deal with this again where you go, I don't want to. And what we fail to realize is this. I I was talking with dad about it when he was sharing about Martin Luther King Jr. And then I remember when the Rodney King video was showed on air and going, there's no way I would have seen this unless that person would have been, you know, they were hiding, videotaping this. And you went, this beating goes on and was going on and had been going on with no justice being known. Then we see the George Floyd and I, you know, with my eight-year-old, we watched that video because, and here's why we watched it. Some of you, some of you might go, oh, you shouldn't show it to eight-year-olds. The real reason why I showed it was this. I began to explain to her because uh, she was asking kind of what was going on when we watched the news or whatever. And I explained what was happening. This officer put his knee on this man's neck. He was begging for his life and for over eight minutes and he died. He was murdered. And she, and I was explaining to her and this was her response. She said, all she could do is this. She said, that was in real life. 
And so her, her world is, I can't even imagine a world with that type of evil and darkness in it. Because anytime that happens, that's a make-believe, right? That, that's, a, that's a Pixar movie. That, 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 that's something else. And we watched it this week. And she said, Daddy, I've seen that video, and, and I understand. And what I'm learning is this. I don't care what our age is. Every generation has to deal with this. Everyone has to deal with this. We have to deal with it as a church. The scriptures deal with it. What we're going to find is God deals with it within Israel. And because even when Jesus came, some of the biggest racists were the people of God. Even Christians, we find later on, Peter goes back to being a racist in Galatians. And Paul says, I had to confront him to his face. In Acts chapter 15, the Jews who became Christians wanted to make the Gentiles get circumcised. You got to become like us if you're going to become a follower of Jesus. Pure racism. And the problem is we think it's just an issue for us today. And we go, no, this has been an issue because as long as sin is here, And as long as Christ hasn't come back, this is going to be a dynamic tension that we cannot avoid. We have to deal with. And God is saying, and I am dealing with it, and I have dealt with it through Jesus. This is why we need him involved in it. And so I just want to, one, I love hearing your backstory with with your grandmother. But I also want to hear, how are you dealing with this personally? Because this is a George Floyd issue. It's not just George Floyd. It's Ahmaud Arbery. It's... Brianna, it's, it's the hundreds and thousands of others. This is an accumulative effect for you. How are you dealing with this, man? Well, you got me all hot and bothered. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Um, you know, I, I, one, I told myself I wasn't going to cry. Yeah. We got that Did, checked I got off. got that checked off right now. Now we can roll. Uh, and so now I'm over here being self-conscious, and, you know, I want, I want y'all to understand something. You know, I, I'm a bald head man, right? <laughs> So we're going to wipe this away because I want to be real today. All right. Come on. And here's here's how I'm dealing with it. I want I want to understand. I want you all to understand something. For me, I'm 35 years old, blessed to to live this long. Right. And for me, I am feeling feelings that I've never felt in my life. But then I go back and I'm like, wait a second. No, I've been feeling them. I haven't been allowing myself to feel those. Uh, there you Does go. Does that make sense? There you go. And that's why I can only empathize with the people who are marching, who are so hurt, mad, and upset, because it feels like I was talking to my cousin, and he gave me this example, and it, it just hit home. It feels like I've been knocking on a door, waiting, just yelling at the top of my lungs to open it, open the door, open the door. The door gets opened, and I don't want to run out. I just want to breathe. Mm. I just want to say, finally. And that's the moment that we're having. We're having this collective exhale because we're now sitting and having a conversation. People are listening. And for the first time in my life, we're able to actually get someone to say, wow, that really, that happens? Like, those, those things happen to you all yeah. on a daily basis? And it's, 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 it's hard, Nate. It is. But at the same time, I feel that way on the outside. But the only way that I know to solve it is through Jesus. Yeah. Because I know that if I fall back on my faith, which is what's been my rock from the beginning, that we can get through this. Yeah. I appreciate your honesty within this because this is what we need. And I think there's a, there's a couple of resources, too, um, I think part of the reason, too, why, and Dom and I talked about this, 
because I wanted to talk to him about George Floyd. I wanted him to talk about this, and there was a hesitation, and he even said, I mean, if, if I got the, our conversation right, you said, when you asked about it, I had to even go research it because I, it's just, you're going, I don't want to keep living these stories all the time. And I failed to realize that as much as I'm reading, as much as I'm trying to learn, we have other people who are grieving this. And I think one of the biggest things for us in this moment, Dom is going to help share more about the heart of Jesus today and educate us today. But I think one of the greatest things I'm learning as as I'm listening is this. You have people of color who are grieving deeply. And oftentimes the last thing they want is, hey, can you tell me how to deal with this? Hey, I know, I know, I know you're, and so I, I just like, I got a couple books. Uh, I know this would be like the book club. I just want to give a couple things that we need. I need, this is why I need the diversity advisory team around me. We have to, as followers of Jesus, confess that we do not understand everything that's going on. We do not. And I, I just want to encourage you, as James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak. We cannot be silent, but I think one of the greatest things that we can be is to be close to people and then be silent and let others talk. And so these are a couple of books that have helped me. The first one is from Jamar Tisby. It's a book called The Color of Compromise. And it's about how the church has actually been complicit in racism over the years. He's a Notre Dame grad, reformed theological, MDiv. This dude is no dummy. He is bringing history and fact and Jesus to this very godly center book. I'm working through this. Matter of fact, uh, I've opened it up to a couple of people on staff. We're going to do a book read through this because I've got to help educate our staff as well through this. A second one that's helped me a lot is called Generous Justice by Tim Keller. He's a white pastor in Manhattan. And you go, well, what would he have to offer me? We're going to talk a little bit about what he says, but he gives part of the best theological background and understanding of why we are to do justice as Christians from the whole Bible, that God is a God of justice. And we're going to be able to dive into that. I want to encourage you guys within this Uh, Because what I'm finding, Dom, is this. There's a quote I was watching. uh, John Gray, a black pastor who got interviewed by Stephen Furtick last week in an Elevation Church. And John Gray said this. He says, Stephen, here's what you got to understand. He goes, we cannot be confused to think we have diversity in our church because we have diversity singing on our stage. Diversity sitting in the crowd. And even people of diversity who will tithe to your church. He said, you will only have diversity in the church when you are willing to carry their pain. And I think this is the call for us as the church. In this moment, in this season. Because here's what what I'm hearing a lot of people saying, we're gonna talk about this. What can we do right now? Tell me what to do right now. Here's what you and I can do right now. You ready? Carry people's pain. One of the greatest phrases I heard about empathy is this. Empathy is your hurt and my heart. Your hurt and my heart. We're going to dive into this a little bit, but here's, here's some of the ways that I have been guilty. I'd even say of racism without knowing it. 
I don't use the N-word. I'm not racist. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a good idea for a pastor to not use, the, like, uh, and not just for pastors, for, you know, for all white people, for people in no, general, people, people you know, people, period. to not use this. But then beyond that to go, it's not enough for me to say I don't use the N-word because that's not God's heart. God's heart is, Nate, you are to carry the pain of the people around you. Matter of fact, you can't pastor without carrying people's pain. That's how we shepherd. That's how we live. Uh, even these are just some, some scriptures. I, I ran them by Dom this week, but these were some passages uh, that I found as I was studying the scriptures uh, because what's amazing is this. God primarily identifies himself as defender in the Old Testament, that this is who God is. Matter of fact, this is what sets God apart from every other God that was in existence back then in the scriptures and today is this. Most gods back then would only side with the elite because that's what they began to believe who they were. God in the scriptures, this is why we gotta allow him to speak to us and get our hearts and our minds right to let him move is because he's saying this, you need to know who I am and I am defender, I am helper. Matter of fact, here are just a couple passages. I'm, I'm just gonna read Deuteronomy 10. This is real quick. It says, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality or, and accepts no bribes. It's no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. This is who God is. This is who he was trying to say, Israel, who I am and who you're to be. Psalm 146, he upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Proverbs 31, eight through nine, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Goes on to say this, Zechariah, do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. In your hearts, do not think evil of each other. But they refused to pay attention. Stubbornly, they turned their backs and stopped up their ears. Here's what's amazing about God in this. He's not just writing to the world. He's writing to his people, Israel. Matter of fact, some people are going, Nate, what can I do? Where can I go? You know where we can go? Micah 6.8 is going to lay out what you and I are called to do. This isn't what I think you should do. This is God pushing us into his identity because what had happened in the book of Micah, God would raise up these prophets to speak truth to people and not to the culture, but to God's people. God's people come back and the book of Micah is a prophet. He said, God spoke through him and said, you have lost your way, Israel. And he says this in Micah 6, 8. He says this to him. He says, he has shown you what is good. He has shown you, oh man, what is good. God's already shown us what is good. And you know what is good? This is what he says, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. 
Here's the big idea with that word, act justly and love mercy. I, I didn't realize this, uh, but that word justly, act justly, is actually in the scriptures over 200 times. And it's mentioned more than compassion or mercy. God is a God of justice. And he's saying, if we are gonna be people of him, then we stand up and we do justice. We don't stop up our ears. We don't turn a blind eye. We don't say, well, I don't use the N word. We do justice. We act justly and we love mercy. And this mercy is God's unconditional grace and compassion. Here's the phrase. This is what he's calling us to do. The phrase is this, that we do justice out of merciful love. That's how we're to live. We're, be, we're to be people who do justice out of merciful love, meaning this, God changes our actions and our attitudes. God changes all of this. Now, here's what's uh, amazing about these things, that when God says, I'm called you to act justly, he's saying this is about a community of people. This is the richness of God. That again, this is not an individualistic thing. We've, we said this the other week, maturity is mutual. That if you want to become mature in Christ, then you have to walk in the ways of Christ together as a community, as brothers and sisters. Matter of fact, uh, when he says act justly, uh, in the book, I love generous justice. He says there's three ways that the church can act justly. He says the first one is this, uh, to provide relief for people. We do that, serve day. Right? We need to continue to do serve days. We may need to ramp up some serve days. But, but Keller says justice is bringing relief to people. We have our food pantry in Midtown, right? Downtown New Orleans. We're, we're feeding people, right? We're helping people. There's relief. But he says it doesn't just stay there. You need to move into development. You need to begin to develop people. This, this is where job training, opportunities, bringing these things in. And sometimes we go, isn't that the government's job? Well, a government ought to be taking care of people. But God says, that's a God thing. That we, re, we bring relief, but we bring development. And then here's the thing that we have to, and, I, and I'll say this, we have to grow in as a church. And this is changing the perspective for me overall because it's, it's what God does is, he says, you have to now bring long-term social reform. We have momentary relief, that is good. We are doing things of development, that is good but we need to create new systems and structures that begin to change where everything is in our culture. And, and, and for me, I go, I'm not gonna be able to start nationally and have all the ideas because I'm novice in this, but I'm going, man, let us as a church start putting new systems in place. And uh, one of the greatest things I would tell you is this, and I'm gonna let you speak into this, is I know uh, you and I have talked a lot about uh, ways that people don't act with justice to you. And here's the thing, and we don't even know it. I was reading a blog this week, uh, Dr. Corey, uh, out of, uh, he's a Christian psychologist, Corey Seymour, black Christian psychologist out of Portland. And he said this, he said, everybody's asking him, well, okay, what do I do? How do I start acting justly? And he gave me the, just, I don't know him, but I read his blog, had a pastor sentence to me. He gave me the best phrase. He said, move from your micro aggravations to micro affirmations. And I went micro, and he began to talk about this. He said, talk about the things that you begin when you see a black person that start coming up in your mind. And Dom, you and I have talked about this. Um, 
you had people tell you, Dom, you're the whitest black guy I know. And then you would say, what does that mean? And, you, and then people would literally tell this to you. Well, you know, you pronounce your words. Yep. Um, yeah, it's interesting uh, because this is one, specifically speaking of the, you know, the whitest black guy I know, um, to me, it, some may consider it a compliment, right? Because, oh, you don't act like the stereotypes. You don't act like that one black person that I ran into at the mall or that I see on TV. You have a job. You do all these things. You, you lead in worship and church. You know what I think that I am? I'm just an American. I'm just a guy who is living to be the best person that he can be. Yeah. And so it's really interesting to me because I don't consider myself the whitest black guy that I know. Um, but at the same time, it's interesting. I've been called that by black people too. So one of the things that I don't want to get lost here is that this is a two-sided issue hmm. that, you know, there, yes, micro aggravations exist on both sides, oh. right? Because we have a system that's been created, unbeknownst to all of us, that we live by every day. Yeah. And the anger that is in this community right now is also another side of those micro aggravations, right? Yeah. Because, you know, if I'm in a room full of black people, I may have to be the blackest person I know at that point to live up to that standard. And it's because we're all trying to fit into some existing mold that was created for us that none of us made. Yeah. And so it's interesting when you, when you bring it up like that, because when you, when you mentioned that to me, I had never even thought about that term, right? Yeah. So my, what was my first question back to you? Well, so then what's a micro affirmation? Yeah. Right? What was the example that he gave? Oh, I'm trying to, uh, yeah, his, his big thing is beginning to see the good in people and starting with the gifting. Yep. What do I see in you already? Mm -hmm. I mean, you're a tech guy, I mean, you, but, but you know me, you see it, and it's like starting with all of the good and seeing and complimenting rather than right. the aggravation. He goes, because it's there. Yeah. It's so, there. So I should just be, you know, you're one of the best guys that I know, maybe? That would be a good way to yeah. put it. Or, you know, you're just a really good friend or you're one of the best singers that I've met, you know, yeah. in a case to me, you know, instead of, oh, you're one of the best black singers we got on stage. Why does it have to be two different exactly. boxes? Yeah. You know, and I think this is where when we talk about being quick to listen, I, w I think there's been a little bit of that pause in me where I'm like, I should be doing something and I should be doing something more. And I think right now we're in a point too that we cannot skip over the sinfulness that we're just unaware of in our own life. Uh, and we don't think that's a big deal because it's like, no, we need to physically. And, and, and I, I found this true even with just American Christianity. Let's just fix the problem. Let's never fix ourselves. Yeah. Matter of fact, Eugene Peterson, who uh, wrote the message translation of the Bible, uh, he started writing it in 1963, 64, when the Baltimore riots were happening. And they said, well, obviously you started writing this translation because of the riots, right? He said, no. He said, 
I wasn't concerned about the riots. I knew why they were rioting. I was concerned about who our people were becoming. And so there's a different angle where he's going, until we start doing the self-evaluation, until we start digging in deep, you can go and try to fix all this stuff, but when you go, we're still not dealing with the root issues. Well, it's interesting you you bring that example up because, you know, it's usually, and I actually marked it when you were talking about it, the Psalms 9, you know, at the very end it says, frustrates the way of the wicked, right? And I love that because I think most people would view themselves not as wicked, understand? And for me, the one thing that is very hard, and this isn't meant to be an education on blackness or anything like that, but just to give you an example of what it's like to be me every day will speak to some of these issues because, you know, yes, right now our world is entangled in the police brutality, you know, especially of unarmed African-Americans. But I think the thing that is very hard for just the average person, especially if you're white, to understand is that I have to be a different person depending on what setting I'm in. If I'm driving a car, I have to turn my blackness all the way down. If I'm going to work, I have to be the level of black that's okay so it doesn't make everybody feel uncomfortable. If I'm, you know, in a group of room of my friends, I can say certain things around them as long as I don't think they're going to offend everybody. I have to, I'm always calculating. I was on a conference call at work, and it was a gentleman from out of town, and he just made a statement, and it said, you know, he knew where we were, uh, and he was like, I hope, you're on, are you, I hope you're on the right side of the river. And I don't know what he meant by that. He literally could have meant a New Jersey, New York thing, right? Yeah. But I didn't give him the opportunity to even bring that up because I knew that it would frustrate me personally. So I was like, oh, you know, here and we call us the sunny side, you know, all the things that we say about being proud to live in Indiana. But my white coworker asked me later, well, why did you say that? And I, I said, well, I don't know where he was going to go. And if this was going to turn into a racial thing, it would be bad for business. And he was like, you thought about all that in that one moment? Yes. And the reality is, yeah, I do that all the time. Nate, it's exhausting to be black in America. It's exhausting. Yeah. And that's where the frustration, the anger, the hurt yeah. that this country is feeling right now yeah. is coming from. I want to pause there and go, We just need to hear that. And we don't need to rebuttal. It's exhausting to be black in America right now. Your hurt in my heart. This is the type of silence as a church that we need. Not that we don't speak out against the injustice, but we hear and we begin to ask the Lord to let that process in our heart and lives. Because there is no way Here's the thing about feelings, they're subjective. I can't go, oh, Dom, come on. Right, right. I don't, we don't get to say that. Yeah, and, you know, unfortunately, when things don't happen to you in nature, you just kind of tend to dismiss them. I mean, you can go back and look at science and 
God, you know, 14, whatever. People didn't understand, so it didn't, it didn't exist, right? And I think that that's the one thing that I want, you know, one of the things out of this conversation is just that, look, it may not affect you. You may not experience this, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. And it's not fair for you to tell me that, oh, well, I'm not that way, so you don't need to worry about it. Mm -hmm. Because the reality is I got three boys I'm trying to get home to, and I can't, you know, worry about, like, on my way here, I couldn't find my wallet. I was terrified because I know that if I'm stopped without my wallet, it's probably not going to end that well for me. Yep. It's just that, just, just that simple. Yeah. And I don't want to have to do that. I just want to be able to go to work and forget my wallet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my response would be, hey, here's my wife's cell phone number. She'll tell you. She'll read. Like, there's no fear in, in me of going, I don't have my wallet. Yeah, man. Or I'll just go down to the courthouse because they'll ticket me on that. And I'll go down there. And sh-. Like, there is no fear or worry about me driving and not having my wallet. And, and this is, that's why you're mentoring me. Right, that's why you're educating me. That's why, and and not just to teach me. You're doing this out of love for me, uh, because it helps me to be a better pastor. Helps me to lead my family better. Helps me to lead our church better. And and what was fascinating is this: in that passage, when God says to act justly and to love mercy, he the, the words never are to be separated. They're they're never to be one without the other. We're never to just give. Mercy, and someone said this uh, that I found was fascinating when they talked about mercy is they said, uh, uh, you know, when they, were, when they were talking about it, right now, what we don't need is for just white people to, to just feel guilty. I'm just so sorry. Okay, okay. We, we, there needs to be more than that. Matter of fact, this is what I find uh, amazing within Jesus in Matthew chapter 23, because here it is, he gives us, this is why, like what you said, he's the one who's shaping you, leading you. He's the one who will lead us forward in this. When we go, I don't know what to do, let Jesus lead. Let him shape us. Verse 23, Matthew 23, again, he's calling out the religious people who think they know and doing everything right. He says, woe to you, Teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, right? He just goes right at it. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, your cumin, right? You're, you're giving. I don't say this. I don't do that right. Okay, good. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Be generous and be generous in your justice and in your mercy and in your faithfulness. Heard a great quote that said this, justice doesn't save you, but can you be saved and not do justice? And it's one of those telling points that Jesus goes, I don't need you just to tithe to your church and not do justice and mercy and be faithful. Matter of fact, the scripture calls them acts of righteousness. That justice word doesn't just mean to condemn what's wrong. What the officer did was wrong. There needs to be justice. It also means this in the scriptures. This is why we gotta allow the word of God to shape us and God to speak is this means this, 
Justice also means to give people their rights. And if we're going to be salt and light, like Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, salt preserves. And so right now, one of the greatest things we need to do as the church as salt is to learn how to preserve life. Right? This is a pro-life issue. If we're going to say pro-life and we're against abortion, we better be going, we are pro-life and against the murder of unarmed black men as well. And to go, we are all about preserving life. We are all about seeing and bringing light and not just holding people accountable, but helping to give rights to people who are having their rights overrun. Speak on any of that yeah, stuff, it's, man. It's, um, there's a lot to unpack there. And one of the things that keeps coming to mind is that question. I've been asked that a lot. You know, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? Yes. And I've been saying two things, um, you know, conversation, what we're doing right now. That's more powerful than anything else because I truly believe that a lot of it is just born out of ignorance. You didn't know. No. Right? No. And it's not your fault. Right. But the only way you can learn is to listen. And on the flip side, for me, I don't know where you're coming from. And so it helps me be able to understand where you're coming from so we can just have a conversation. The second thing is to, once we've established that you're my friend and you would speak up, I truly believe if some injustice were going on to me and we were in a room together, you'd probably get out of your seat before I would. But I need you to have that same passion when I'm not in the room, when people who are not like me are in the room And that's going to make those conversations a little bit more uncomfortable because if there's somebody saying something that's derogatory or negative towards another person just based on their skin color, but there's none of those people around, for you to stand up and say, that's not right. That's what we need because that's going to continue to teach this message of Jesus, right? Yeah. And, you know, I, I saw it. It was on Facebook, and we talked about it. I sent it to you. And it was a message, and I'm probably going to get it wrong, but I'm sure a lot of you have already seen it. And it says, if you look at this issue, if you say the killing of an unarmed black man is, what was it? Oh, yeah. uh, Yeah. yeah. Sorry. The killing of an unarmed black man is unfortunate, but the looting and rioting have to stop. Stop. Yeah. And I think we would all agree with that, right? Yeah, rioting. Yeah, Right? right. Yeah. However... The statement should actually read, the destruction of property and looting and rioting is unfortunate, but the killing of unarmed black men has to stop. That's the issue, and that's where we need to be. If we can all look at it that way, we're all on the same page. Yeah. Because that's what people who look like me right now are fighting for, because if the killing of unarmed black men can stop, then the destruction and looting and rioting of property won't happen. And I'm not condoning that in any way, shape, form, or fashion. I don't. I condone the peaceful. I, yeah. I implore the peaceful protesting yeah. because that goes right back to frustrate the ways of the wicked, yeah. right? Because we're disrupting. Yeah. Once it moves past that, yeah. nope. No, I th- you're saying the right things and because this is what we find and what you said. And this is why we got to listen because... Back to the fixing. Let me just go build a house then. Let me go do this then. And you go, no, I need you to speak up for me when I'm not in the room. Which comes back to this. (laughs) Acting justly, loving mercy is costly. It's costly. And we know without any sacrifice, nothing changes. 
That's why everything changes with Jesus because he is the ultimate sacrifice. He gave the most costly gift. And so for us to think we're gonna act justly in love mercy without sacrificing, without standing up when you're not in the room, even on those small things, and we go, may it cost us some friends? Which comes back to our thing, and this is why God says, lastly, and walk humbly with your God. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God, which means this. The New Testament word would say repentance. You lament what you've done wrong. We lament any of those micro aggravations. We lament our prejudice, our racism. We go, God, I see it and I'm sorry. But he says, now begin to walk humbly with your God, which means begin to go in a new direction. Begin to take steps forward. Repentance isn't just to say you're sorry. Repentance is you going in the new direction with God. That's why Jesus shows up and he goes, repent because the kingdom of God is here. Quit following your ways. Quit doing whatever you want and begin to follow the ways of God. And this is what you even see this in Genesis 11 is really where racism you see with the Tower of Babel with pride. That's where racism comes from. It comes from pride. And then you see that happen. And right after that happens in Genesis chapter 12, you see God's heart to say, Abram, I'm calling you to be a blessing to the nations. God's heart has always been for diversity. God's heart has always been for the world. God's heart has always been about the redemption and renewal and the reconciliation of all things. And you see this in Matthew 28, our calling. We talk about we're Christ's community and calling. Our calling, Jesus gives us to go and make disciples of what? All nations. nations. Not just your town, not just the people who look like you, not just your family. Yes, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything, teaching them to walk in the ways. And then he says, and surely I'm with you always. As you're reaching the nations, as you're sacrificing, as you're giving your life, as you're laying your life down. And then what happens when the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter two? We see God's heart. The Holy Spirit comes And it says they began to speak in all of these languages so everybody could understand who Jesus is. See, this is why we need to go, oh, we need to listen to one another. And at the root of it is because we need to listen to God. We need the voice of God in on this, which means this, repentance is confessing our pride and our arrogance and our narcissistic ways. And saying, I'm going to humble myself, God. And so you can begin to move forward. Speak on that, man, or what that looks like. You know, I, I've been blessed this week to have a lot of conversations, um, you know, about this, these issues that are going on. And a lot of people just want understanding. And it was one of my white coworkers who had offered this thing up. He said, you know, my grandparents, they live in, you know, they live up in northern Indiana, and he said, my grandparents, they're not racist, I don't think. And he was like, but I do think that they get annoyed whenever they feel that they're being 
acted like they're racist, like right whenever they're being told, you know, oh, you can't say that, you can't do this. And to me, to be able to look in the Bible and go all the way back to the beginning and see that racism has been going on the entire time, it lets me understand a couple things. A, this is not a new problem, yeah. right? So that gives me some solace. It, do, it really does. But the other thing, it gives me hope that there is a generation, there's a segment of our population right now that really does feel that way, right? That oh, I don't use this, I don't do that. And I think you can almost get offended when yeah. you know, you're being said, oh, well, you don't understand my plight. And that can offend you, right? Yeah. And so I think if we could all just understand that, you know, A, we all don't understand what's going on. Everybody's got their own little backstory. Yeah. But that this isn't a, an attack on you. This is an attack on us as Christians. And if we can then repent what's been going on, yeah. I think we can move forward. I really do. Yeah. Because to me, it's not really about whether you, Nate, have been racist or whether George has been racist, or, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not about that. Yeah. It's about understanding the plight of a certain people, understanding what can be done, and I truly believe that there are enough Christians in this country, in this community, in this church, that we can start change. Yeah. We have to be an example, yeah. and I really believe that we can do that. Yeah, I think that is the hope. Uh, we grieve, but Paul says we don't grieve with those without hope like those without hope. And this is, we grieve this. We grieve the loss of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, in our backyard. We grieve the loss, but we also go, no, God, we know it grieves your heart too. And you are wanting to move and act. You are. This is part of him doing this and us stepping in and seeing his way. And I, I find it fascinating you say that because in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel, this great guy, great leader of God, he doesn't just confess his sins. God, I've done this wrong. You know what he says? I read all of Daniel chapter nine. We have, we have neglected you. We have sinned against you. He goes, I have and we, Israel, has. And there's this whole thing that we've got to move from just thinking it is about our individual sin to going, no, we, us, we're a part of this and we grieve where we've erred on this. Maybe we haven't used the wrong word. Maybe we have, but we go, we have. And we know part of the biggest problem is people are just waiting to go, hey, can you say that people have misused the Bible for slavery? Yes, I can. And you know what? We were wrong. I wasn't there. That's not even my faith heritage, all this other stuff. Any Christian who has used the Bible to promote slavery is wrong. We Christians were wrong. And we just have to confess these. But it is, it's part of this greater thing of walking in the ways of God. And I know one of the things for us is this, you know, here in a moment we're going to, actually we're gonna, we've kind of flipped it a little bit, right? We've, we needed to deal with this conversation and... Uh, I was hoping this would happen. I was hoping, because you can plan different stuff, but what I was hoping is how we talk on the phone and in the living room and at your work would happen here. Uh, and I think it has. Uh, but we know this, this is only the beginning. This isn't diversity weekend, right? And then we're gonna go back to normal. Please, no. We can't. Yeah. Uh, we can't. We need to walk humbly 
in the ways of God from this. And here's where it all comes down to. It is about Christ's humility. Because again, he was the one who faced racism when he was a baby, right? King Herod tries to kill him. He has to run away as a refugee. Kills all the Jewish baby boys under two. All of his greatest sermon illustrations, the Good Samaritan is a racist response because the Jews hated the Samaritans, called them dogs, half-breeds. And he goes at it. He knows what it's like to live in this. And what we find, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 5 is this. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Justice, mercy, and a new way to walk. And here in a moment, I'm going to have Dom just pray for us. We're going to go into a time of communion. And I'm just going to ask for you to begin in this moment, one, to remember and be thankful of who Jesus is, but to begin to let Jesus come into every area that you're walking with right now. It might be that you are grieving what is happening right now. You go, no, I know the love of God and all this other stuff. And you're going, I don't know how to grieve what's happening. Let Jesus in on the grieving. Maybe for some of you, you've been convicted by what the word said, by what Dom has said, by what what we have shared. And here's the great news. God is rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy. And he wants to forgive our sinfulness and he has in Jesus and he wants us to begin to walk in a new way. And I want to invite you during this time after Dom prays, during this communion time, begin to repent. Begin to say, God, I've got to go in a different way and would you help me? Yes, he's rich in love. He makes us alive in Christ. And so Dom, would you pray for us uh, here in a moment and we'll take communion. The band is going to sing. We're going to have some time on this. I want to invite you to, there's a couple books. Go get the sermon questions. We have specifically added a ton of more content for you. Even if you're not in a life group, this this will be for your good. Our daily prayers are going to reflect this and we're going to incorporate this. Uh, But Dom, would you pray us into communion in this moment, man? Is there, and let me give you room to, anything else you want to share, man? Yeah, I mean, I I want to thank you. I want to thank you for your heart, for you. And I want to thank this church um, for taking the time to listen to not only this conversation, but to be willing to be a part of the change. Yeah. Because that's what it's going to take. Yeah. And I want to encourage everybody, anybody, that if you have any questions, I know there's me and the diversity team. We're here and we want to help. And part of this is we know there's going to be a lot of conversation. It's going to be a lot. I want you to educate yourself uh, because there is a lot that, you know, even I don't know. I'm not the end on. I don't speak for all black people. Yeah. yeah. But I want to say that I am here. I want to be a part of this change. And I am so thankful that I've been given this opportunity to do this. Yeah, brother. Yeah, well, man. Praise out, man. Praise out. Dear Lord, thank you. Thank you for being a God who never fails me. And thank you for being a light when it is just so dark right now. Lord, I want to be a part of this change. I want to see 
this church change. And I ask that you give me the strength to call out people when they're wrong, to stand up for the ones who can't stand up for themselves. Dear Lord, and we pray. Be with George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and all those families that have lost children, mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, to senseless acts of violence. Dear Lord, I pray that you be with this church as we start to have those communications, those conversations. And I pray that you give people the strength to be in the room when it's uncomfortable, even though it is so necessary. And dear Lord, I pray that you start tearing down a system, a system that is built to keep a certain segment of people down. It's not right. In this country, we will change. And I pray that you let this church be a beacon of what unity can be, of what change can be, and that we can be an example for others just in our community. Dear Lord, I know that only in you will this be possible. Not Nate, not Dominic, not anybody can do this. It's only you, dear Lord. So as we remember all these things, I just want you to give anybody the strength and the courage necessary to be that spark for change. Dear Lord, we say all these things in your name and we pray. Amen. Amen.